Hello and welcome to another episode of Bring Up the Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Luke Thompson. JT Van Gilder is here with us. JT, how you doing? All right, Luke. How is the rainy Pacific Northwest? Yeah, it's actually, I'm not, you know, I'm normally on the dry side, but it's been surprisingly rainy here lately, too. It's kind of weird. Yeah, but, you know, enjoyed a nice, relaxing bye week, unlike our guest today from the Oklahoma and the Oklahoma State beat writer, Scott Wright. Scott, how you doing? Hey, doing good, guys. And so, I mean, obviously Oklahoma State played a, a big game yesterday, came close, but, I mean, did, did it feel like they kind of let one slip away? In a way, it really did. The game had a weird feeling because they kept coming up short on short yardage situations that were really costly. They they settled for some field goals. They tried a fake field goal late that, that was blown up and didn't work from the start. And it just it felt like they were – trying to they were it was an uphill climb all the way but they had their moments where they had their chance to kind of get over the peak and couldn't do it you know even the first drive they start moving the ball straight down the field and get down inside the five and shoot hubbard fumbles and they recover it but it seemed to zap their momentum and they ended up settling for a field goal on that one and so you could see the frustration in the offensive space because they couldn't finish off some really good drives that they had put together they would have a big play that got them down into the red zone and then they they'd end up leaving with a field goal and that was the frustrating side of it for them yeah i think i saw um you, you mentioned the fake field goal and you mentioned something in your post game video that, that mike gunny didn't really want to talk about that <laughs> no he was uh he was asked about it now originally they had fourth and one and uh as they were setting up for the fake they got a delay of game and so it turned into a fourth and six and they stuck with it and still tried to run it anyway. And so someone asked him if the play was designed for fourth and one or if they thought it would work at fourth and six. And uh, his response was, I don't want to talk about fake. And that's <laughs> all he had to say about it. Yeah. So this Saturday, we look ahead. We got K-State Oklahoma State on ESPN Plus, And we'll talk about that a little bit later. But, you know, one of the storylines, I think, for K-State fans going to this game was, well, you know, obviously we don't want to see anybody hurt badly enough that they won't be able to play this week, but Oklahoma State might be a little more banged up after playing a game against a team like Texas. You know, how much do you think that will be a factor on Saturday? You know, Oklahoma State is really kind of uh, kind of – now obviously they're a little bit worn down at this point. They've had a, a couple of rough weeks, but from a, just a, a typical health perspective, they're more healthy now and, and a little bit deeper than they've been in a while. They've had some – linebackers who are out with preseason injuries who have come back in Kevin Henry and, and Devin Harper. Both of those guys got in, into the game last night. They had Israel Antoine. It was a non-injury uh, situation that, was, that kept him out the first three games, a defensive tackle, and they think that he can be an impact player. And he's back. Brendan Evers was a starting defensive tackle who missed last week and is back now. So they're really getting more healthy than they've been. And obviously you've got the bumps and bruises that come with uh, with a game against Texas because they're a very physical team in the trenches in particular. Mm-hmm. The one uh, the one question mark that is left that uh, we'll have to uh, address with Mike Gundy on uh, Monday when we speak to him, Dylan Galloway, the starting left tackle, left the game. Uh, late and uh, and did not return. So we'll see if that's something that uh, that lingers, or if that was just a uh, sh- a short term thing that uh, he couldn't just couldn't get back on the field. So that could be one area where Oklahoma State is uh, is hurting a little bit. But we'll see what that what the status of that is on Monday. Yeah, actually, I think I saw a tweet from your colleague Jenny Carlson saying that you know based on who left the game, maybe Texas felt the physicality of it more than Oklahoma State did. 
Very possibly. They had some injuries. Maybe some of them weren't exactly real injuries. Yeah. Uh, that's, uh, that's, a, that's the thing that, that Oklahoma State faces a lot when they run their up-tempo offense. Right. Some teams like to uh, like to slow it down with you know some interesting injuries. We'll just uh, we'll leave it at that. I I don't want to I don't want to take a shot at anybody, but I know Chris yeah. Street called it out on the broadcast. Felt that some guys were maybe taking a dive at times. So, but Texas did get. I think uh, Texas. Sorry, I, I was going to say I think Texas uh, saw how effective that was when they were playing at LSU and those guys kept yeah. falling down while Texas was driving. Right. Exactly. Yeah, and it's uh, it's something that uh, feels like it needs to be addressed because it's uh, with these fast-paced offenses, it's becoming a real issue to kill momentum or allow guys to sub or whatever it might be. Yeah, yeah. And then I mean, you mentioned uh, Chuba Hubbard. I think he was approaching what forty carries yesterday. You know, I, I, I Kansas State. We all know about overuse of, of running backs or running guys too much. I mean, there's no way that's sustainable, right? 37 carries for Hubbard and uh, and only produced 118 yards, which is, uh, you know, for a guy that has had two 200-yard games already this season, that was, you know, it looked, it looked like he was just banging his head against a brick wall all night long. <laughs> so that's definitely a, a major concern for this offense going forward uh, because that's back-to-back games now with over 30 carries and three of the four games has gone over 25. So yes. that is a significant number. So it's been a really strange kind of twist on the season because with uh, a year ago with Justice Hill, everybody was uh, the fans were upset that they weren't using him more and, and trying to protect him and keep him healthy for the end of the season because he was a little bit smaller guy at about five nine and you know 185 190 pounds where Hubbard is six one two ten but it seems like there should be a happy medium somewhere in between fifteen and thirty seven that you can focus your running back on and, and keep him healthy and keep him fresh. Mm-hmm. And then, I mean, Spencer Sanders is a fairly big part of the, the running game too, right? How much do they try to use him as a runner? Yeah, that's going to continue to be a major part of this offense. He ran the ball 18 times, including a couple of sacks uh, last night, but over 100 yards again, 109 yards for him. He threw for 268. So he is a, a legit dual quarterback, and they're going to continue to use him that way because he's so dangerous when he runs the ball. He creates some openings and creates some plays that really aren't there when he takes off and runs. So that's going to be a big part of this offense going forward, whether it's him actually running the ball or uh, or the zone read that teams have to make a decision whether they're going to, you know, how they're going to approach that with he and Hubbard. I think you'll see them, uh, you know, running some plays that look like a, a quarterback running play that, that, that turn into a passing play. We haven't seen that yet, but I think that's probably something down the line that they're going to use when people start to really buy on Sanders and follow him around and try to keep him mm-hmm. contained. And so, JT, I mean, how do you think that will affect the way K-State plays defense? You know, we've definitely seen them trying to put a lot of pressure on quarterbacks, but they haven't really faced anybody with this kind of speed and athleticism yet. Yeah, it'll definitely be a, a different challenge. Spencer Sanders is scary good, and he's just a what a redshirt freshman, right? I, I mean, yeah. mm-hmm. It's insane, and we're going to have to see this guy for a couple more years at least. So, But I know what we face is more of a typical drop-back quarterbacks, but even Mississippi State's quarterbacks were quite a bit more mobile, not yeah. going to be the same kind of mobile that Sanders <laughs> is for sure. But I think we'll see you know, a lot more you know, leaving a, a linebacker in the middle to spy and, and that kind of stuff. But it really shouldn't affect what they've been doing overall on defense. A lot of that contain up front and send in, you know, four linemen and, you know, maybe five. And so that leaves linebackers in space to cover that that middle of the field where 
a mobile quarterback's going to do most of his damage. So I think uh, it won't change a lot of what they're what they're going to try to do in the game plan, at least defensively. Mm-hmm. And how are Sanders handled it when teams, you know, blitz and put a lot of pressure on? You know, to this point, um, you know, he got sacked twice last night. One of those was a fumbled snap. So he really hasn't he hasn't faced a ton of pressure when he's uh, just dropped a throw. Obviously, he's taking some hits when he's taking off and run. But any pressure that he faced last night against Texas, he handled it well. He's not afraid to stand in the pocket and make a throw or move the pocket and get outside of it and, and throw on the run. So, you know, he is uh, he's very adept at finding his spot where he can uh, set up and throw and, and not take a lot of shots from defenders that are coming at him. So that's something that's, uh, that's key for him because they need to keep him healthy. And Drew Brown, uh, obviously the, uh, the quarterback battle lasted right up until the, uh, the week of the opener, but Drew Brown does not have that type of athletic ability in his game. He can run a little bit, but mm-hmm. uh, he's not that type of, uh, doesn't have that type of speed and elusiveness. And so one thing we've talked a lot about on this podcast is K-State's corners being more aggressive this year. Certainly, I mean, the bend but the right worked pretty well against Oklahoma State last season, actually. But yeah, that's, I think case I'm a little bit worried about facing a team like Oklahoma State and, and, and getting burned deep. You know, how how is Sanders' deep ball? And obviously, he's got some good weapons out there. Yeah, he does. You know, it comes down more to uh... – coverage schemes in terms of uh, of that because when you've got Tylen Wallace um, if you go look at you go watch the, the Tulsa game from two Saturdays ago they ended up with a lot of single coverage because that's what Tulsa wanted to play and if they've got Tylen Wallace in, in single coverage they're going to try to throw to him deep that's just their philosophy because he's going to either get a pass interference penalty or he's going to make a big play and they're perfectly comfortable with that either way. So a lot of single coverage, they're going to try to go deep. If they don't, they're going to find other ways to go deep. Uh, you know, Texas was dead set on taking Tyler Wallace away. They had a, uh, a safety over the top just about the entire game, and, and he ended up with five catches for 83 yards and no touchdowns, which uh, is, is it sounds like good numbers, but compared to what he's been doing this season is you know one of his least productive efforts of the, yeah. of the year. So. You know, you look at other guys like Dylan Stoner had a lot of catches last night. Landon Wolf got more involved. Braden Johnson caught a uh, a deep ball. That if you want to see what Spencer Sanders can do when he throws deep, go find yeah. his fifty yard completion to Braden Johnson because it was sixty yards in the air and it was uh, and it was on a dime and hit him right in the numbers and uh, really impressive throw. So he's got a uh, got a strong arm. Uh, you know, his accuracy is is he has his moments where he struggles with accuracy at, at times. But for the most part, he's a very accurate thrower. And like I said, a strong arm that can make a lot of different throws. Yeah. Yeah. And so, JT, I mean, what do you want to see from the K-State secondary? I know he's talked with former K-State safety Jamie Mendez last week, and he said they'll probably, you know, do some some single coverage on Wallace. And, and honestly, that's kind of what they did last year. Let him get his yards. He got about 90 and then shut down everybody else. You know, do you think that's a workable strategy or you know, put more focus yeah. on that? Yeah, we'll probably probably do what we did against Mississippi State and and you know, kind of focus on that that leading receiver and then you know let the other guys go in zone and they've played a lot more you know, what used to be called Tampa two cover two uh, defense this season and you know leaving a safety high or two safeties high to prevent that deep ball. So I, I like I said, you know, with with the quarterback, I don't really think they'll change their game plan, their defensive plan a whole awful lot based on what Oklahoma State does. You know, really the biggest thing 
the cats will be looking for on defense is that the offense keeping the yeah. Oklahoma State defense on, or offense on the sideline. And that's, you know, question I have for Scott really is because I haven't seen all of Oklahoma State's games and I don't know, you know, I know who they play, but I don't know the styles, but if they've yeah. got. Well, they've given up 100 yard uh, running backs in three straight weeks, I think. So maybe some vulnerability yep. there. A uh, little bit. You know, they faced a Tulsa team that was really set on running the ball. And then they, against Texas, they sort of dared Texas to run the ball and, and Texas found some ways to be successful. Um, they wanted to try to contain the run game against Texas with just minimum personnel so that they could prevent um, Sam Ellinger from having crazy success through the air with all those receivers that he's got. And uh, it backfired for a while. They had to uh, make some adjustments to really sort of change things and what was uh, what was happening in the run game, and they did that. Tulsa was a similar thing. Tulsa had a really big first half, and they, uh, they brought up an extra safety into the box and had a shutout in the second half that really sort of changed things. So I would anticipate that they lean more toward bringing in maybe an extra safety, changing up the front a little bit. They were almost entirely a three-man front against Texas. Uh, I think you'll see a little bit more of a four-man front and maybe an extra safety in the box to try to stop the run against Kansas State because from what I've seen, and you guys know better than I do, but it looks like that's an area where Kansas State can really hurt some people. So I think Oklahoma State will be a little bit more worried about containing the run from the start of the game than they maybe were against Texas. I think they're more focused on containing Ellinger than the Texas running backs. And so I think that'll be a little bit of a, of a change in, uh, in their philosophy going into this week. Yeah. And that, I mean, if I'm a defense facing Kansas state, I want to make them throw deep to Malik Knowles and Dalton show and maybe can get, get some yards that way, but K-State's going to be a lot more comfortable just getting behind the, the big experienced offensive line and, and running it down your throats. So that would seem like the way to go. Yeah. yeah, and that's where that's where Oklahoma State, being that they are as inexperienced as they are on the defensive line, and like I said, they have been a little bit banged up there, but uh, but they're getting healthier and getting some guys back. That I think will be a big focus for what they try to do in helping those guys out to try to contain that run game as much as they can. And then Oklahoma State's got some pretty solid defensive backs, right? I mean, AJ Green is the first team preseason All Big Twelve. How's the the rest of that group out there? Yeah, you got A.J. Green at one corner, Rodarius Williams at the other. They're both third-year starters, so they've been through they've been through the fire in the Big 12. When you've played that many games in the Big 12, you either stunk or swam, so uh, you guys have swam. So they're both really talented corners. The safeties are young, but two of the three starters played as true freshmen a year ago in Jarrett and Colby Peel. Colby Peel had his first career interception in Texas, the first one that Ellinger had thrown off the year. So that was a big moment in that in that game when Oklahoma State was trying to rally. So, you know, they're really experienced in the secondary. They were uh, so experienced, in fact, that they uh, that they felt comfortable making a move when the linebacker position was not quite so healthy. They moved one of their best safeties, Malcolm Rodriguez, up to an outside linebacker position, and that's been a hugely successful move. He's the, leading, the team's leading tackler right now and playing really well, even as a, a little bit of an undersized guy at only about 210 pounds and six feet tall. So, But he's the most sure tackler on this team. When he gets his hands on somebody, they usually don't get away. So he's been uh, they've been able to move him up there and not see a significant drop-off in the secondary with Trey Sterling coming in at that other safety spot. You know, with the with four two five, you know, three safety spots are incredibly important because of, uh, of all the different responsibilities that they've got, whether it's in run coverage or pass coverage or 
you know, occasional blitzing, things like that. So the secondary is really the strength of this defense right now. Yeah. And so JT going up against the secondary, how much do you trust Skyler and his receivers to be able to keep a defense honest? I mean, I think you'd have to say more than at the beginning of the year for sure, but where are we at right now? Yeah, it's uh, I've been pleasantly surprised with the with the progression of of Thompson, you know, both just himself, but as well as his uh, progression with the receivers. Malik Knowles is what you know, has got to be an early candidate for, you know, all the twelve team at receiver. I mean, he's been making some circus catches and and getting separation. He's got you know high end speed. And one of those kids pulled out of the middle of Texas and that people slept on, but now looks looks stud. And I just you know they'll they'll really rely on that you know pounding the ball at you know at the line the running game to open up a lot of the play action. That's something that. You know, Snyder hadn't done in the last uh, really decade. This is true play action, but Courtney Messingham really loves to use that traditional play action and, and boots and rollouts, those kind of things that we used to call, you know, pro-style offense. And back in the early 90s, my dad brought up a good point, actually, the other day was that it looked like those Joe Gibbs teams when they were winning all the Super Bowls. And, and sure enough, I went and looked up some some quick video of it and like yeah man that looks like what nfl teams were doing in the late 80s early 90s and it just works it's efficient and it just works so we'll see if if they can can keep it up against a big defense yeah yeah it's worked well and skyler has been i I think very confident very much like i don't know i don't think i want to see k-state get into a shootout because the style of these offenses but you know if we get into the fourth quarter and it's a close game I'm not sure that I don't trust Skyler more than I, I trust Spencer Sanders at this point. Because, right. I don't know. And he's had good luck against Oklahoma State. That's for sure. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. That's true. Oklahoma State fans uh, are very familiar with Skyler Thompson. That's for sure. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, let's take a quick break for our sponsors. So we're back. And just, you know, we talked about six o'clock games, so I would assume that there's going to be a good crowd. Uh, I know there's been a lot of frustration among K-State fans about the game being on ESPN+. Plus. You know, I've, I've heard some people, oh, I don't want to pay that money. And then I think the most legitimate complaint is there's a lot of rural Kansas fans who say we can't get internet where we live. I think that that's a serious issue. But, you know, what have you heard from the Oklahoma State fan base as far as this game being on ESPN+. Plus? Very much the same stuff, and you know Oklahoma State has a little bit of the advantage here fan wise because it is a home game for them you know mm-hmm. uh, if, if they're frustrated about it, they can go to the game, whereas that's not quite as easy for Kansas state fans so you know uh, but there is definitely some frustration, some annoyance at the fact that you know Oklahoma State sort of anticipated just the uh, the one game, the McNeese State game in week two to be on yeah. ESPN plus and uh, then they were sort of caught off guard when the second ESPN Plus game got dropped in their lap. So definitely been a, a little bit of a shock and some uh, and some frustration on the part of the fans. Their rallying point has been uh, you know, to get people out to the game, to come come buy tickets to or mess with ESPN Plus. Uh, you know, you have the internet doesn't handle streaming very well, or like you said, you, you're in a place mm-hmm. where you can't do very good internet at all. So, you know, that's been their push is to uh, get people out and into the stadium, which they've done a good job with in general, but I think this might help the case as well. So I would expect with an, an evening game that you can probably plan on a pretty close to a sellout. It's right at 55,000 is what the stadium holds in its current formation. So I would expect that that'll be the type of crowd you'll have on Saturday night. 
And the other thing, and you got to wonder if what if Big 12 officials think that the extra money they might be getting is going to be worth it for not getting the exposure because, you know, this isn't going to be a game you accidentally flip over to or if Twitter's talking about it being a great game in the third quarter, you know, you're going to maybe not, you know, spend the money to get it if you don't have ESPN+. Plus. So you wonder if the conference yeah. is worried about that yeah, at exactly. all. Yeah, if exactly. You, if you come across it halfway through, <laughs> all of a sudden go pay five bucks for <laughs> ESPN+, Plus to see what, you know, may or may not be a good half of a game. So, it's definitely interesting. I think that the uh, the Big Twelve now ESPN Plus contract is a really big deal for you know some basketball games that normally wouldn't get televised or some other sports. You know, one of the first events that the Big Twelve now package had was a an Oklahoma State women's soccer game, and uh, mm-hmm. you know, that's a that's a program that's hardly ever on on TV of any kind. So yeah, you know, actually, my, my little sister played for Oklahoma State soccer, so I know all about that. Yeah. There you go. So, yeah. So, you know, those kind of sports are really going to benefit from this. Whereas, you know, the football programs that are used to a, a different, different type of mindset are kind of trying to figure things out right now. And, you know, obviously, there's so much of this technology being what it is, and uh, you know, contracts that are going to be coming up, TV contracts in the in the next few years, is streaming is going to become a, a lot larger. A piece of the pie when they're uh, when they're figuring out how to you know to best market themselves as a league and college football as a whole. So it's sort of the wave of the future, and it's not always easy to be right there on the first wave and dealing with it right now. So you know it's it's tough. And uh, now I believe this is the second ESPN Plus game for Kansas State as well. Is that correct? Yes, yeah. it is. Yeah. Yeah. So they got caught off guard by it as well because, like I said, there's only four teams that are involved in it right now, and there'll be four more added next year that uh, are required to have games on there. So I think both programs were a little bit blindsided by this one. Well, it's it's not just fans that are upset either, too. I know that like coaches are upset because it's one fewer game that that can be in front of the average recruit. I mean, you think of you know high school freshmen, sophomore, juniors; they're still just watching everything they you know they're they're not watching a can on a team and so you want to be able to be on espn you want you know espn proper abc fox you want those recruits to see you under the big name you know and not relegated to some forgotten channel or streaming service because it, it doesn't make it feel like you're big time but you want those recruits you know to be looking at you so for both you know gundy and climate they can't be happy that it's harder for their recruits to see them, you know, in a, on a marquee conference matchup. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. And that's the thing that that's really sort of surprising about this game is that, I mean, had a couple of things gone differently last night for Oklahoma State and they won that game, they'd be in the top 25 as well. This would be two top 25 teams going against each other and it's, mm-hmm. uh, and it's on, uh, on the streaming service. So that would have been a really odd sight to see with, uh, with, with the way things are right now. I mean, well, you got college game. They go into Lincoln to see Ohio State blow out the Huskers. So yeah, go yeah, figure. Exactly. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so I'd like to actually talk about Mike Gundy a little bit. Uh, first of all, I think we're recording this podcast on Sunday, and if I'm not mistaken, I see this is the anniversary of the infamous "I'm a man, I'm 40" rant. Um, let me think. This is right right in that neighborhood. Yeah, I don't know the exact date of it actually. So this would be the uh, the 12th year. It happened 12 years ago because it's 52 yeah. now. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but anyway, I mean, since Stoop stepped down, Snyder stepped down, Gundy is now the second longest tenured coach in the Big 12 behind Gary Patterson at TCU, 
you know, so I mean, he's pretty solidly in there, but you know, he had a pretty bad season by his standards last year. Um, are there any fans getting impatient at all this season? That along um, with four straight losses to Oklahoma, I guess, too. Yeah, yeah, that's a big sticking point. The Bedlam series is a big sticking point for fans. Last year was a very frustrating thing for fans. You know, this year with a, with a new offensive coordinator, they're being a little bit patient. I mean, some of them are. There are always that, that cluster of impatient <laughs> fans out there. But, sure. um, you know, there are some pockets of fans that are frustrated with the way the program is going. and think that they should be getting more four- and five-star recruits to be playing at the level that they're at. But for the most part, I think the majority of fans are pleased with what Gundy has done for the program. I mean, it's not, it's not a Bill Snyder-level turnaround, but Oklahoma State was right. uh, pretty low at the time that, you know, first Les Miles with Gundy as his offensive coordinator, and then Gundy as the head coach, and obviously Boone Pickens, who recently passed away. The funding that he did have been the biggest keys to turning this program around and, you know, doing things like, you know, 2015, 16, and 17, they won 10 games each of those years. That's something that's never happened in Oklahoma State history. They've never had three straight 10-win seasons. So Gundy is doing things that haven't been done at Oklahoma State in a long time, if uh, if ever. So, you know, the majority of fans are pretty pleased with where the program is. Now they want to see them continue to take steps forward. They definitely don't want to be in the 7-6 and six season like they had a year ago. They're excited about Spencer Sanders and Chuba Hubbard and Tyler Wallace right now. So they want to see this team in particular have some success. So in general, I would say that uh, the Gunning's approval rating is pretty high with Cowboy fans. Yeah, yeah. Is there And, you know, the recruiting has maybe slipped a little bit fifth the last two years. I think they're currently sixth for 2020. I know it's a different situation, hard to compare, but with Snyder, there was always a sense as he got older that he was maybe losing his connection. Like you said, Gunny's only 52, so relatively not that old. But, you know, are there any even whispers about Gundy losing that edge on the recruiting trail at all? Not really, because he is finds ways to, to sort of reinvent himself. Yeah. For instance, he started using a helicopter in, <laughs> uh, in the, uh, would have been for the 2018 class. And so he started zipping around all these different places. And all of a sudden, everybody, you know, every kid that uh, was at, at that school wanted a picture with Gundy in front of the helicopter. And, you know, that's been a thing that he's done that's, that has helped him connect. And uh, he's got a youthful spirit, I would say. And so that helps him as well. And he's he's got a, a fairly young coaching staff. I mean, they're obviously some of them are guys that have been with him from the start or close to the start that aren't as young as they used to be. But, you know, his offensive coordinator is 34, and, you know, he's got a, a defensive line coach who played at Oklahoma State in the early 2000s and, you know, that relates to players really well. And so he's doing some things that keep him uh, relevant and keep him connected with young people. You know, Charlie Dickey isn't uh, isn't a young guy by any means, but, <laughs> but he has, as you guys well know, a very unique way of communicating with young people that people really enjoy, that the kids really are drawn to. And that's what I think makes him such a, such a good coach. And he's done, he, Gundy has been beyond excited about what Charlie Dickey has done with the offensive line and with the uh, recruiting for uh, for 2020 on the offensive line. So, you know, he's got four guys. They've got a, they're going to have a really small class this year just because they don't have a whole lot of seniors going out. But they've hit some of their uh, their target areas really hard, and offensive line has been one of them, and been really excited about the job that Charlie Dickey has done. One of the things, it seems like Gundy is a guy that very much unlike Bill Snyder, you know, it, it's important for him to have a life outside of football as well. Uh, 
you know, I'm not saying like he's going to leave anytime soon, but he seems like a guy who's probably not going to coach into his 70s. And would you say I, uh, that's fair? I would completely agree with that. You know, and I've only heard stories about what, you know, the Kansas State coaching office is sort of like, <laughs> um, you know, the intensity and the hours that are expected and, and those sorts of things. And, and Gundy is very different in how he re- handles his program. Um, you know, he's got a lot of coaches who have kids who are, high school or college age. He has a son who's a high school senior right now, and he wants to be there to see his son play on Friday nights when he uh, when he has the opportunity. And, you know, he wants his coaches to be there for their families when they need to be there. So he doesn't expect crazy hours of them. You know, he's got his, his farm that he uh, that he talks about from time to time where he uh, grows wheat, has, has some livestock and things like that that, you know, sort of occupy his spare time even uh, even during the season. And he and, goes uh, hunting rattlesnakes, right? <laughs> yeah, he has his, his rattlesnake <laughs> hunting habit that he uh, has to uh, has to fulfill. So he's got a lot of things away from football that keep him busy. I definitely feel like, you know, over the summer, he had a, an interview with a, a couple of local reporters where he said that, uh, or local columnists actually, and he, he said that he could see himself coaching until 60. And that was a, a big step for him to say that he saw himself coaching that long because, you know, it was it was in his mid-40s he was talking about, you know, maybe 10 more years of this and that would be about it. And so now he's yeah. extended that even farther now. So, But I definitely don't see him going, you know, for as long as Coach Snyder did or, yeah, uh, yeah. or, or some of the other guys out there. Yeah. Sounded like you're putting him in the range of about, you know, Bob Stoops. Uh, he's, what, yeah. in his mid-60s now and – just decided yeah. we want enough and time to hang it up. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I think uh, I think there's a little bit of a similarity there. I don't know that uh, I don't know that Gundy will come back for uh, <laughs> you know something like the XFL, like Stoops is doing down in Dallas. But and I, and I think Gundy will uh, probably be more open about it than Stoops was. You know, when Stoops stepped down, that was a shocker. That you know was rattling cabinets all around the state. People were going nuts when that happened. Yeah. Uh, I think it'll be uh, a little bit more known when Gundy starts to feel like he's reaching the uh, the end of his line and I think that he'll want to make sure that he's got things lined out for that person and uh, I think he'll be pretty open about it. He's got to feel pretty good about avoiding that Tennessee situation, right? Didn't they come after him? I would, uh, I would think so. <laughs> Sometimes they've come after him and tried to hire him and uh, three times he's gotten a raise because of it uh, and he never <laughs> took the job so I think that worked out about as well as it possibly could have for him. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and I guess, I mean, the big thing, it seems like Oklahoma State, you know, they've obviously had a lot of great receivers and running backs, but it's always kind of the quarterbacks running the show. The Mason Rudolph and Brandon Whedon's what you think about from the, those best Oklahoma State teams. Are, are they kind of hoping Spencer Sanders is going to be that guy, that kind of player? Yeah, they really do. Obviously, it's a little bit different because he does run as opposed to uh, thinking about the guys that Gunny has had the most success with over his time. It's been the uh, the traditional pocket passer type like Whedon or Rudolph, but they feel like Sanders has the arm to be that type of player and also add the running element in with it. So as long as he can stay healthy, I think that he has a chance to be a a key dynamic player throughout his career at Oklahoma State and and do a lot of things that those type of guys did, the the Whedons and, and Rudolph type guys. So you know, they feel like he's the quarterback of the future, and uh, he certainly, from four games in, certainly has the look of being that type of a player. Yeah. Well, I guess, I mean, probably about time to, to wrap it up. I guess, you know, last thing, then uh, we're going to put you on the spot here. Scott, you got a prediction for Saturday? 
oh man, I was not ready for that. Let me think. Um, <laughs> I did check the line. I saw the Oklahoma State's favorite by five and a half, which I think is probably about right. Um, you know, I think this is pretty close to a toss-up game, you know, if it's played on a neutral field. So I say that's kind of how it ends. I think it's going to be a very competitive ball game. I could see, uh, you know, with the Oklahoma State defense being what it is and uh, trying to find its footing in a couple of areas, Kansas State playing the way that they have, particularly uh, I got to watch a lot of that Mississippi State game. So I'm rambling as I'm trying to come up with, uh, with where I can fight <laughs> in, but uh, I'm going to say – I'm going to take Oklahoma State 35-31 in a, uh, okay. in a very exciting ball game. Okay. Yeah, sounds, sounds good. All right. And so people can check out your stuff at Oklahoma.com. And then is there a Twitter where, where people can follow you? Yes. Follow me at ScottWrightOK. Okay. All right. Sounds great. Thanks a lot for joining us. We appreciate it. Thanks. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. I'm Luke Thompson signing off.